Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to the latest episode of the Romans Empire podcast. My name is Zach, and I'm joined by just Andres today. No Psalm, unfortunately, but Andres, tell me something. We got some podcast news, don't we? Yes, we do. Before we get into this up and down week that was Chelsea related, Romans Empire Pod is going to switch over to Anchor as our hosting platform. So I know for the past, what, Zach, correct me if I'm wrong, three seasons? Three seasons, yep. For the past three seasons, we've only been available, I think, in SoundCloud and uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, But now through Anchor, uh, once we post the Anchor link, you'll be able to actually choose the, the app of your choice. So I know you will see Spotify, you should see... Google Podcasts, uh, there's a couple of generic, not generic, but more, uh, I guess, dark horse websites, but you know, you'll be able to choose your listening preference. So we're pretty excited about that. Uh, it makes life a little bit easier for us and it also makes it easier on you guys to listen. So we're pretty excited about that move. Yeah. Um, speaking of excitement, this is the only part of the podcast I'm excited to talk about, Andres. Not even match. the first. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is the only part I'm excited to talk about. So uh, we'll go through the starting lineup first. So we had Keppa in goal. Uh, Frank switched things up with a back three. We had Rudy playing to th- on the on the left hand side of that back three. Christensen in the middle. Dave on the right. Alonzo and Reese James as our wing backs. Kovacic and Jorginho, the two man midfield, with Ross Barkley, Ross Barkley, Mason Mount, and Olivier Giroud. So, um, Andres, we'll get to Ross Barkley in a second because I think that one is probably uh, the most polarizing selection of the group. But we got to start out with the hashtag Kova crew. Um, Kovacic was ridiculous, not only against Spurs, but also against Bayern. But the Spurs match kind of kicked off a, an, an unreal week for him. So um, just quick round off of his stats, 89 total touches, 94% pass completion. He had 42 pass completion rate, excuse me. He had 42 passes completed in the opposition half, more than half of his passes. Uh, Two total key passes, two interceptions, five out of five dribbles. And um, Mateo Kovacic actually has completed more take-ons than any other central midfielder in the Premier League since the start of last season. Andres, 145 dribbles attempted, 107 completed. That's almost, that, that rounds off to 74%. So, he's a he's a baller, basically. I, I'm fully aware of that. I can't believe sorry made people believe that he wasn't. This is the Kovacic I've always like stand, and man, it's just it just feels good to know that I was right all along, <laughs> and that he is performing at this level. I mean, we agree that he's been our player of the season so far. I think this game has shown what's been the case for most matches where our buildup, our transition game has to go through Kovacic. Most teams have, you know, their fullbacks high and and their fullbacks do the progressing of the ball. But in the games where we look most dominant, it's always Kovacic. You see him get a pass in in traffic and he just takes these clever first touches where a, a player might be pressuring him. But with his first touch, he's already uncovered himself from that first press and he's already five yards ahead and ready to make a, uh, the next pass or the next move. So he was extremely critical to what we wanted to do in this match. And I mean, those stats just kind of speak for themselves. 
you know, he doesn't he, he's an interesting player because he doesn't necessarily put up those crazy numbers as you would expect. Like you could go I could go ahead and read off his his dribbling completion percentages and his passing com- percentages and even some mm-hmm. of his defensive work also. But the goals and assists, he doesn't really chip in numbers wise in those categories. So in a way, he does seem like Frank's ideal midfielder, doesn't he? Because Frank always talks about him. He seems to be that one player that Frank could rely on. And I think if Frank had to pick his best midfield, Kovacic is probably the first name there. Um, I hope so. I hope so, yeah. I mean, the only other name I can think of is Mason Mount. Those are the two midfielders that he's like overwhelmingly favored as the season's gone on. Um, but what exactly... I mean, I know we know the answer to this, but maybe we could explain it a little further. But what exactly does Kovacic bring to the table um, visually, the eye test? What are some of the things that he does that kind of makes you go, shit? Because for me, it's the way he could spin out of out of receiving a pass, right? Back to yeah. goal. He, he has this unreal ability to just take this – take a really – just flick the ball right around a defender – and take a really tight angle and just completely change gears. And he's not necessarily the fastest player, but he's definitely quick. And for me, just that ability to be completely press resistant, he's the only midfielder that we have on our roster that has that ability. I'm going to go one step further and say he's the only player who is technically, and I don't mean technically as like uh, technically this is correct. I mean technically as in technical ability almost world-class in our in our team i think he is extremely comfortable in the ball like you mentioned and i think our our team overall lacks that he you never think he's gonna lose the ball or, or maybe make a mistake when when the press is on it always seems that even when he's in trouble the ball is gonna go to the correct place and you mentioned like what is the eye test you know that meme where it's like you you see something blurry you put on the glasses and then it shows you the real thing yeah. The, the way I think of it is the blurry image, you think it's Eden Hazard when he's on the ball. Then you put the glasses and you're like, oh, crap, that's Kovacic. <laughs> and I mean that in terms of his dribbling. Yeah. Obviously, Hazard had the, the goals and assists like you mentioned. But but Kovacic does the, the same sort of dribbling motions that Hazard does just further back on the pitch. And, and like I mentioned, it's when you see that smooth transition from the back line, whether it's a back four or back three, to those front three, front four players, depending on the formation we play, it always goes through him. Whether he gives a give and go to Jorginho to open himself up or whether he gets the ball and with two touches has dribbled past a midfield two of the opposition. When he's at his best, we look at our best. I think I think he's at his best right now. And, um, you know, it, it's easy to look at that, uh, look at his last two games and assume that he's at his best. But under Frank Lampard, especially the last maybe month or so, I mean, every single time he stepped out onto the field, the team ticks around him. And we talked about that with Jorginho last year and the whole sorry ball nonsense. And then coming into this year, we thought Jorginho would be that guy. But actually, it looks more like Kovacic is kind of overstepping him in a lot of ways, in the sense that he's basically running our offense. He's our point guard right now. And, you know, it's there is no other midfielder that we have, I mean, maybe besides N'Golo Conte, that could play multiple positions and multiple systems, kind of like this. I think Jorginho got exposed against Bayern. Tottenham really didn't throw much forward, so, you know, Jorginho really didn't have to do that much covering. But Mm -hmm. 
Kovacic does have that defensive side to him too. Like he gets about, he he gets stuck in. Every now and then he'll have a hard tackle. He nicks the ball off defenders, and then he could jumpstart the attack. Where we don't have anyone else that could do that. You know, Mason Mount's yeah. great at running around, but sometimes his decision making is questionable. Loftus Cheek is definitely not known for his defensive ability. Conte could defend really well, but again, inconsistent in attack. Kovacic is really our only midfielder that could do both consistently. And I said it in the beginning of the season. I'm going to keep preaching it because, you know, why not? Like, fuck it, I'm right. But Kovacic is the most important person in Frank Lampard's midfield. I cannot see a Lampard midfield without Kovacic in it. No, you're you're completely right. And the weird pit part of the, the season where he wasn't starting is still a mystery because we were struggling when he wasn't there. But but to take things even further, the way Kovacic is playing right now, and, and call me biased or whatever, but I truly believe this, he walks into Leicester's midfield, Man City's midfield, and Liverpool's midfield. I, it, you know, you know I'm a huge fan of the 4-3-3 with like one player being kind of the holding and the other two being yeah. more box-to-box. And, and in my head, in that perfect three, Kovacic should be at that base for any team that's any Premier League team, the way the way most Premier League teams play that three, I think Kovacic is perfect for that because, like I said, his strongest thing is that transition. But I really think he's an upgrade to Henderson. I know he's having a fantastic season. I think the media is blowing steam up his butt a little bit. And then in terms of City, yeah, Rodrigo's good, but I think Kovacic is still even better because Kovacic brings now that next step of that dribbling. So for me, again, he walks into any midfield in the league. I think he should be the first name. In, in the midfield for Lampard each week. And yes, he doesn't give you the goals and assists that you would want from a center mid nowadays, but I bring it up when this kind of conversation comes up. Modric, who won the Ballon d'Or, is not that kind of player. Yeah. Iniesta is never has never been that kind of player. It's, it's something that Chelsea players throw out is that John Terry scored more career goals than Iniesta. So you don't always have to look at those stats to to show what you bring to a team. And that's how I feel about Kovacic. You watch the game and he just completely stands out in what Chelsea needs to do to succeed. Yeah. You know, those kind of midfield players are probably the most under, one of the most underappreciated positions in the world up until like recently, I thought, you know, the fullback positions were, Mm -hmm. but as, as, you know, as the game is evolving and we're starting to see more of these kinds of players where they're, very much two-way footballers it's kind of underappreciated especially when they don't put up stats like that like I think Modric was probably the first Ballon d'Or winner to not blow up the stat sheet in a really long time no it obviously I mean we've had Messi and Ronaldo well, 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 past what 10 yeah. years yeah 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 of course but like I mean really like even in even in years before it it always kind of came down to goals and assists it didn't really come down to you know how someone played right it just it, it was only what was on paper but anyways that's a conversation for another day i want to move on um to another midfielder here ross barkley um didn't necessarily play a midfield role per se um you could argue that he did um, i would argue that he did but he was positioned in that front three um obviously playing a very narrow um front three uh frank lampard so um ross barkley Four shots, one assist, two key passes. 
Lampard always gives him opportunities, and this is probably his best stat line. And I know it's not like much, right? One assist. Mm-hmm. Probably should have had a goal slapped off the post. Ugh, we all yeah. know what happened in that buildup. But what is Frank seeing that's um, that's kind of bringing Ross Barkley out of his shell a bit? Because me personally, I've I, I see him a lot more comfortable playing further up the pitch. I don't think he's as worried about giving the ball away. It's very mm-hmm. low risk, high reward when you're putting him there. And I think that's a good way to kind of get him into the squad. Now, it's obvious like Frank put him in that front three to kind of had this narrow block. He did not want to give up the center of the pitch. Right. Um, and probably to cover for, you know, Jorginho's defensive defensive uh, deficiencies. But um, it worked. And that's the bottom line. And I actually thought he was really good in this game. Um, so what do you think Frank is still seeing that's giving him these more opportunities? Do you think he's still kind of tinkering with the squad or is this somewhere that we could see Ross Barkley kind of fill in as a squad player? So I was going to get to this. I'll mention it now briefly and I'll talk about it later, but it seems to be that. So Frank has tinkered when he knows the kind of profile that he's like, he knows exactly what to expect next right so he did this with spurs the first time uh and and then makes the changes then from there and then we we come out to spurs have a perfect tactical plan here it looks like he wanted to to bring the attention in the middle of the pitch by keeping mount and barkley who are both tens essentially not wingers behind Giroud, to open up space for our wing backs uh and i think it worked out well like you said defensively we had a mid- midfield box of four instead of isolating Kovacic and Jorginho, who, like you mentioned, doesn't have the defensive ability. Uh, then with Barkley, you hit the nail on the head. The further up the pitch you put him, if he's receiving the ball already facing the opposition's goal, that's what he did at Everton. We talk about Mount being kind of a shadow striker. The more I think about it, that's what Barkley was doing at Everton behind Lukaku. He's not the co- the guy that finds the key pass at the end. He's kind of the guy that leads a counterattack. Yeah. And so I think that's what Lampard was trying to do here. Say if we can get the ball up quickly and Ross Barkley gets it right outside the box, more likely than not, he'll do something dangerous with it, whether it's a dribble, whether it's a shot, maybe it's a shot that gets deflected and lands in the path of somebody else. It, Like you mentioned, it's a very high reward there because at that point, that's what Ross Barkley can bring to the table. Uh and I, his IQ is not the highest, but when you're that close to goal, you kind of just want to be more flight or fight kind of thing and go off instinct rather than overthink what to do with the ball. Yeah, and and I think I, I think that's exactly it. He was overcomplicating his play by being in the middle of the field, right? Uh, it, that tends to be the most compact part of the pitch. If a team is shaped properly, there's only about 40 yards between the striker and the center back. So that's not a lot of room for, you know, six midfielders operate uh, between both teams. So, you know, when he receives a ball in those positions, oftentimes he isn't facing the goal, like you said, and that's when he over-elaborates and, 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 and he loses it, right? He's not necessarily the most athletic player, so it's not like he could spin out of it like we were talking about Kovacic or where he could beat someone for pace or, or, check, into a, or, or check into an area of the midfield with pace. He, he doesn't offer that, right? He doesn't have that fright factor unless the ball's at his feet. And I think putting him higher up the pitch, looking at his stats, he only attempted one dribble. Now, that's not necessarily his game, but surely he would have attempted way more of those had he been playing in the midfield that day. Um, 
but putting him higher up the pitch, this is somewhere I could actually see him being semi-productive. And, you know, we talk a lot of shit about him, Andres, right? But when it comes down to it, he's still a Chelsea player, and he still has certain qualities that can add to the team's dynamic. And this was almost like the perfect match to just kind of throw him in. It was, it, it was honestly, Mourinho had no way of planning for Ross Barkley and Mason Mount to be, you know, essentially inside forwards in this match. Um, you know, he was probably expecting Willian to be cutting in off the left and, you know, uh, Mason Mount to just be pressing off of the right. Yeah. But this kind of threw something something else at him. Now, completely questionable lineup selection. Let's just get that out of the way. But it did kind of pay off. Um, so before we kind of move on from Ross Barkley, do you want to see him again? <laughs> because that's the golden question here. Uh, in the right situation, which I'll get to when we get to Bayern. But, uh, I mean, we, we are extremely riddled with injuries. We can't always depend on the same 11 to, to come out and pretend like they're not getting tired. It would be nice to see Ross Barkley perform like this consistently. It just, again, it has to be in a situation or, in a, or a scenario where we know it's going to happen. We, we have to literally spoon feed him a good performance. And, and that's the level of trust I unfortunately have on Ross Barkley right now. I don't know if he's the kind of guy that can make something out of nothing. I think Lampard set up this team to make Ross Barkley succeed. I don't think Ross Barkley can succeed without that tactical assistance. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, after seeing him play here, I think the only other system that we could see Ross Barkley be successful in is a 4-2-3-1 where he's kind of playing the 10. Um, but anyways... Uh, I want to move on to Olivier Giroud, right? We haven't seen Tammy Abraham in a while. Um, to uh, to Ron's question that he asked us on Twitter, um, you know, he was asking about Tammy's injury. We don't really know much about it. Um, we know that he tweaked his ankle. It's, it sounds like it's a lot worse than uh, they initially feared. So, um, you know, Ali Giroud got the nod again. Um, four shots, had a really nice goal, seven out of ten aerials uh, won. He has to be our backup for good, right, Andres? I mean, yeah, we talked about an eye test with with Kovacic. I think the eye test comparing what Giroud brings to the table to what Mishi does is is pretty obvious. Yeah. And Giroud is not the quickest guy. He's not going to pressure the back line as much as someone like Tammy does. But he seems to be at the right place at the right time when the ball comes into the box. He allows other players to run past him and get a decent pass to their feet whenever the ball comes to him. And also, if possession is not there, Giroud is one of the best people to just launch it up to, let him have his back turned to goal and, and just bring it down. And, you know, when we have a young team like we do right now, if we're getting pressed and we don't have a solution, boom, there's your solution. You, you kick a couple long balls, maybe the other team will stop pressing as much. And, and he's just a very good kind of an outlet for when you're, you're limited in options to, to pass out of the back. No, I mean, I mean, he was giving us something completely different that I noticed in the Tottenham game was Caballero wasn't necessarily playing it out of the back every single time. He was looking for that long ball to Giroud to sort of bypass Tottenham's midfield before they had the chance to get into that low block. And a couple times it worked where Ollie would specifically be targeting uh, Davinson Sanchez uh, because he's way stronger than him. But he would kind of post him up like an NBA move 
and uh, Willie Caballero would launch a long ball right into him. And Ross Barkley and Mason Mount, they were getting on the ends of those knockdowns. And that's how we started creating chances. There was a really nice snapshot Mason Mount had in the beginning of the match. And that resulted off of, again, a long ball to Ali Giroux, flick off, Mason Mount's in. Um, and and maybe that's a more direct approach that we haven't seen from the side, you know, this season, actually. The only time I could really recall us being um, direct in our in in our play, specifically against the low block, is probably against Arsenal. And they didn't even play with a, a low block in that match. But we just had this, like, uncanny ability with Mason Mount, you know, funnily enough, um, where him and Tammy Abraham basically threw a two-man fast break clinic and, you know – painted north london blue as they always do but this beside the point you know this it, it's a different form of attack for us and i think you know in those matches where tammy does get knackered and he does get tired because you know tammy puts his he wears his heart on his sleeve he works his ass off and there are those matches where maybe throwing all these up top when we're spitting balls in the box might be an option for us so i'm interested to see what happens when tammy does come back you know, Frank has tinkered with the lineups a lot. He's, you know, lately his new trend has seemed to be not to use any of his wingers and to just kind of play two inside forwards. So it'd be interesting to see if Frank does decide to play, you know, Giroud and Tammy up top together at some point this season. So just something to keep an eye on. But Andres, we cannot talk about this game without talking about these fucking shenanigans that happen every single week. Every single week. Like, I to thought us. we were done with to it. Us. Yeah, yeah, to us. We had 12 goals, or we had 12 VAR calls ruled against us this season. Um, but just a little second backstory. Most, right? I think it's the second most, yeah. And um, little story for everybody. Um, you know, if, if you didn't already hear, uh, the VAR for that match, his name was David Coote, right? Not a very well-known Premier League referee. Uh, less experience than Michael Oliver, but somehow Michael Oliver still decides to listen to this more inexperienced referee that's miles away watching on a television screen, as opposed to the guy who's standing 10 feet away from Lo Celso stamping on Azpilicueta, which was clearly a stamp. Now, the call was not ruled a red card. Um, Lo Celso wasn't even booked. Um and it just kind of left everyone baffled yet again. And VAR completely fucked this one up yet again. And during the match, the PGMOL admits that they made a mistake. But get this, Andres. The same VAR ref makes another mistake in the next match. The, the, lesser, the lesser City Man City match where De, the ball literally gets kicked at De Bruyne's face. De Bruyne puts his hands up to stop the ball. Right. And it does not get ruled a PK. And it just seems to be a recurring theme. Right. And we talked about it a little bit last week. VAR will never work because, yes, it is a machine that is precise, but it's still being run by incompetent human beings. Yeah, it's unfortunate. So one thing that I was I was trying to look into, why is it that the Premier League is just so bad about it? And the way it was handled and, and somebody brought up the way it was handled in the world cup is that there's not a room in HQ somewhere else with 20 TVs. No, no, no. There's a, there's a fifth guy with maybe two people in a room that tell you as the center ref, Hey, you might want to check this out. The referee can then decide to get under the hood and watch the film himself. 
There should not be somebody else telling the referee who is in the pitch, who knows what's going on in the game, what kind of game it's been, to tell him, hey, no, this is what happened. I think the referee has to make that call himself. That way, there's not like, oh, I just listened to so-and-so, and then every ref has an out to point a finger elsewhere. No, no, no. Take full ownership. It'll take you probably half the time to go to run to the halfway mark, go to the little TV and get it done. Then, you know, you have latency issues with communications or hold on. We haven't come to a majority census here to he just stands there, Andres. He, they just stand there with their hand right. to their ear, like at listening point, to somebody like, blabber at them. Go to the fucking screen and look at it. Exactly. Run to the halfway line. Don't make us just sit there and stare at you for two minutes. Nobody knows. Go to the hood. Look at it yourself and be a man and make a call. It, that, that is literally what was done in the World Cup. And it felt a lot more organic. Like, no, this conversation of taking it all away and whatnot was not even uh, up in for com- conversation. The calls were right. The calls were fair. And it, it helps being there and doing it yourself. Just Just do that. Let's give that a shot. Screw having someone tell you, hey, boss, uh, yeah, you're going to have to change that call. End of story. No, no, no. Hey, take a look at it yourself. That's all the VAR should be in letting that guy do it. If he didn't see anything in the face, he's like, nah, we're good here. Boom. Let him die Boom with that decision. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I do not want a committee who's not in the pitch, who doesn't know what's going on, make that call. Because guess what? We're going to talk about it again in the Bayern game. You know what? Let's talk about it right now because I'm already heated. Marcus Alonso <laughs> Goes in for a swivel move on Lewandowski. Misses and hits Lewandowski in the face. It was not a punch to the face. It wasn't egregious. It wasn't a injury potential foul. VAR makes the decision to to just call it red card. What? And, and, And to make matters even worse... To make matters even worse, the VAR came out after this match and said, we got it wrong, but we're not going to give Lo Celso a red card. Yeah, yeah, and, and that that's the part that frustrates me. Well, well, apparently they suspended this guy just for this weekend, but I'm sure he'll be back next week. What they need to be doing with these people, right? Well, first of all, that Stockley Park bullshit, it, it, it just needs to be gone, and I think that's what you were getting at, like – there's no reason for someone else to be making the final call. Someone else should be looking at replays and different angles and whatnot and saying, hey, go to the hood, take one minute, make your decision. The ref could go to the hood right away, watch the replay once, and be like, no, 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 I was standing right there. The replay looks a lot worse than it was. And there are a lot of occasions where that's actually the case, right? Like the Marcus Alonso one. You watch the Marcus Alonso thing at full speed, and you're like, oh, he's just trying to maintain his stride. There's nothing in that. There's nothing in that. There's no there's no sort of coming together. There's no headbutting after. Marcus Alonso didn't talk shit at – like there's nothing egregious about it. But when you watch it in slow motion, you see Lewandowski get slapped in the face, and then you see him flopping on the floor. And, and, and it just becomes this whole you know, circus basically. The, the Azpilicueta one, that's as clear and as obvious as it gets. And that's another thing about VAR that's just not clear and obvious at all. What is clear and obvious? What defines something as – is, is someone's toenail being offside considered clear and obvious or is someone stamping on someone else considered like there's no medium. There's no barometer. There's no metric. 
there's no explanation, and I think that's the yeah. main issue here. And like you said, no other country has this problem. I'm fucking done talking about it because it's just so ridiculous. But you know, it, it, it's not a matter of like, it's not even a matter of Chelsea fans making excuses at this point. It's it's just get get the call right. If if it was the other way around and Aspilicueta was the one doing the stamping and he got sent off, would we be mad at that? Yeah, yeah we we'd be pissed that he got sent off, but. We wouldn't be hard done by that he got sent off. Right. There's no fucking way. I it, and and it, I I highly doubt any Spurs put, like fan or anyone that watched this game even had a doubt that Lucelso should have gotten the red. And, and that's the craziest part about this whole thing, that these calls can be made by civilians, and and these referees who are getting paid a lot more money than what you and I make on a week to week can't get that right. So. That that's my last word on VAR, man. Like I hope we don't have to bring it up again, but it's frustrating. So um, before we get into this next Bayern part, Andres, as a as a token of our new anchor, you know, subscription, whatever, we need to leave a spot for a commercial. So here it is. For Chelsea fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews, and the best Chelsea videos and podcasts. Download the free CFC Blues app now from the App Store and Google Play. And welcome back, Chelsea fans. Andres, I believe you want to take the lead on this Bayern match because you took up a particular interest considering that, uh, you know, you have some Bayern fanhood within the family. <laughs> yeah, so to give you guys a little bit of, of a, a quick side story. So my dad, obviously, we've mentioned this before. He's a big Bayern fan. And game day comes around, so I text him in the morning, and I'm like, well, Dad, I, I'd love to say may the best team win, but we know both know the answer to that, so I'll just say may the team that executes their game plan better win this match. And he just said, well said, didn't say anything. He's at traveling for work. Game goes on. We know how it ended. It was a 3-0 victory by Bayern, and you know, when, when you have a friend and you have this rivalry, usually you talk crap and, and it goes back and forth and they're like, yeah, fuck yeah, y'all suck, whatever. And that doesn't hurt as much. It's all playful banter. But my dad pulled the shortest and it, this is like just hurt so much more. So, you know, you get in trouble as a kid and, and you get the I'm not mad, I'm disappointed and I always hurt more. <laughs> so my dad pulled something like that with his shit talking. He said poor you that was it two words and i swear i did not i've never been more upset by shit <laughs> than that because oh my god it wasn't even like told you, you so anything. Get a it reaction like, oh it was just like that's all i got i got it like five hours later when i was already trying not to think about the game i was like well done dad even in the smack talk you you just destroyed me with two words but Anyway, I wanted to talk about this game. Obviously, because of my dad, I get to watch Bayern a lot. And like we always do, we'll talk about lineups first. Bayern came out with their traditional 4-2-3-1. That's been working uh, really well for them. Yeah, under under Hans Flick, it's – I mean, he went back to basics. This has been Bayern's formation forever. Their 2013 Champions League winning side dominated Europe with the 4-2-3-1. It, it's literally – in their DNA as a club, uh, in their starting 11, for the most part, it's been consistent for months. Alaba has been playing center back due to the injuries of both Lucas Hernandez and Nicolas Sule. 
So that's not even a shock anymore. With that move, Alfonso Davies has become the primary left back. Kimmich all season has been playing at center mid, which has been a huge upgrade to his game. That's actually his natural position. He moved to right back uh, under Pep because that was the best place for him to get minutes. Now he's fully unlocked in the middle. Uh, Muller has been taking the number 10 spot from Coutinho because honestly, it allows flow of game to go a lot more. We all know Coutinho is a shot spammer and it just breaks about it. (laughs) Yeah, it, It breaks any flow of game. So pretty much everyone is in their usual spot. Unlike us at Chelsea who have plenty of injuries. We haven't seen our strongest 11 all season. And at this point, Lampard decides to line up in the same 3-4-3 with the same personnel uh, as we did over the weekend with Spurs. So before we get into the match, Zach, what were your thoughts on Lampard's tactical choices when you saw that pre-match? Look, I, I, I touted the, you know, the 3-4-3 with Ross and Mason up top, you know, against Tottenham because it worked. And, you know, against a low block, something like that does make sense, you know. Um, but... Against a team like Bayern, where we know we're going to be up against it, we know they're going to dominate possession in the ball, we know we have to sit in a deep block and try our best to hit them on a counter, to have absolutely no pace out onto the field mm-hmm. was uh, was concerning. So when the lineup came out, that was my first thought, was who is going to get, who out of this team is going to get in behind? And the answer was nobody. Um, you know, we, we look threatening for you know, the early stages of the match, but at the same time, we look like we could have conceded four. So confusing lineup selection, you know, it, it, it just baffles me that Frank didn't decide to take a page out of Mourinho's book out of, you know, especially after playing with for him, you know, all those years and, and seeing how successful that style is against stronger opponents like Bayern and being a part of the side that beat Bayern by doing the exact same thing in the Champions League final, just kind of. Yeah kind of surprising yeah i so i was having this battle in my head so for one bayern has their biggest quote-unquote struggles in the bundesliga which dortmund leipzig they play three in the back and i thought okay if we go three four three then you know maybe we can we can catch them you know on the counter so, yeah we could catch them on them. the counter yeah and like you said, yeah, we absorb and then we go. But at the same time, I did have those fears, like you said, of who is going to be the one countering. And we know that Mount isn't going to be, or Barkley for that matter, are not going to be high and wide waiting to create space before even getting the ball to then go directly at goal. You know, that's more of a Polisic, a Kalmuts and a Doi move. It's, it's players that weren't available. And the other part that I was debating on is that the fact that we did this before. We played a 3-4-3 in the Premier League against Wolves. And then we decided to play it in the Champions League against Valencia. Two totally stylistically different teams because Lampard's naivete, naivete, what's the word? Just being naive as a young manager made him think, okay, it worked this week, it'll work next week. And unfortunately, it was the latter. And it didn't work just like it didn't work against Valencia earlier in the same Champions League campaign. Uh, for one, Spurs was looking to just sit back and hit us on the counter. So playing that box midfield played to our advantage because their midfielders weren't really pressing the issue. Here against Bayern, 
the mid Kovacic was on an island, man. Jorginho was non-existent defensively. Muller was getting in between them and all around them open all game. Thiago dropped a 10-10 performance. Kimmich was cleaning everything up. So the middle of the field was lost. Then again, against Spurs, they're defending. They're trying to block everything in the middle. So our wingbacks had tons of space outside. Here, Bayern's fullbacks had that covered easily. Reese James and Alonso were non-existent. Alfonso Davies, which we'll get to him later, literally manhandled Reese James. And Alonso's not lightning fast, so Pavard was unfazed too. So the things that made the 3-4-3 stick out and be special against Spurs were never going to be a like-for-like like against this very well-groomed and athletic Bayern side. So way, way more dynamic than Spurs. And I think that's I think that's the the key here is Spurs were very one-dimensional. They were only trying to hit us with speed when Bayern was shifting gears constantly throughout the match. And I think they it was just a it was just an example of what an elite club does to a club in transition. Yes. And, it, and Bayern has that extra gear that an elite club possesses. Like they are, you know, especially after watching the way they played against us, which isn't saying much, but they're always in the mix for the Champions League every single year, regardless of their league position and, you know, whatever their form is, they still have the players that could hurt you in multiple positions. You look at Thomas Muller, I think he's in double digits on assists this season. So he's yeah. found his form again. You know, Serge Nabry, who's having, you know, the last 18 months of his life, um, you know, uh, Robert Lewandowski, you don't need to say much about him. Tiago's completely reborn. I thought he was dead. And, and injury-free, and which is it, yeah, fantastic for him. Good, good on him. But again, th that's the thing. And we didn't prep ourselves properly to cope with the different ways that they were going to hit us. Going three at the back wasn't necessarily the worst idea in the world, but pressing them was idiotic. You know, you're going to – I said it before the match in our group text too. I said the thought of Serge Nabry and Kingsley Coman running in behind – our, our, our wing backs into that channel mm -hmm. frightens me. And Nabry got two goals in what, four minutes off of it? Two really well taken uh, five, goals. Five, four or five minutes. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, let's get to the how the game played out. So the first half, Bayern, again, we, we said they dominated the whole game. They were the most composed side. Chelsea had maybe a chance or two. Score remained nil nil. But second half, I mean, it was within the first 10 minutes when Nabry scored. You mentioned that he's had a fantastic 18 months. More recently, literally has six goals in London in this single campaign for the Champions League. So four against Spurs, two against us tonight. That is incredible return. The former gunner in him, I guess, was loving the chance to play against both Spurs and Chelsea, and he showed that. Um Funny also that all the quotes from Tony Pulis from years ago saying that he didn't have the quality to play for West Brom also popped up. So good on Nabry for showing the haters what he can really do. Um, but those two goals just destroyed the young Chelsea psyche. And, of course, we then go after a goal, and Lewandowski scores about 15 minutes later, making it 3-0. The second half, though, for me was very frustrating not on the fact that Bayern finally kind of broke the seal and put three past us. It was the fact that we actually had some chances in those final 20 minutes and could not convert anything. I know we've said this all season, but these were these were almost tap-ins. These were things where 
if you're literally paying attention to what your teammates are doing, you just have to have a part of your body there to let the ball hit it. Yeah. I, I don't know how you felt about this, but I thought Tammy was awful off the bench. By far the worst performance I've seen from him this season. And and that's kind of a, a very discouraging thing to see. Yeah, but it's also his first, you know, his his what second run out since coming back. He he needs yeah. to get Tammy's not the kind of player that can come off the bench and you know change a game off a long injury layoff. He doesn't have enough experience to do that, right? He doesn't have enough know-how. He's still young, so mm-hmm. I'm not too concerned about the way he came off the bench. What I'm more concerned about was the lack of a plan B. Um, you know, eventually we shifted to back four, and Alonzo was playing left back at one point. Yeah. And that was for me, that was a frustrating part was, OK, if the three, four, three doesn't work, what's our plan B? OK, here's the obvious choices. Let's throw William and Tammy up top and just kind of see what happens. And then hooking mm-hmm. Aspilicueta just kind of seemed like a knee jerk reaction. Why not shift Dave out to the left and maybe throw Rudy on the right or 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 work something out, work something else out that could keep Dave on the pitch. He's been scoring big goals for us. He's our captain. And, you know, in a lot of ways, as much as we bash him for not being that, that not the not the loudest leader in the world, but he is our emotional leader in a lot of ways, especially in these matches where he has that spirit and that fight and that hunger where he just kind of never gives up. And the team seemed like they needed something like that. Um, but I, I do want to caveat it with this, Andres. I'm not down on this side at all still. I think we hit our target for the Champions League. The fact that we drew Bayern, we were all kind of scratching our heads and going – uh, well, that might be it, guys. And to be honest, I really didn't think we were going to get out of this anyways. But to lose 3-0 at home, yeah, it is disappointing. But there are positives to take away from the match. And I think seeing us play against elite clubs is only a good thing from Frank's perspective because he's seeing what these players are made of. And I think it's really interesting what he said at his press conference afterwards. The only player that showed him any quality that day was Mateo Kovacic. Yet again, another shout out for Kovacic. Yeah. But we'll we'll get there. Uh, yeah, in terms of what we expected from this, yeah, I mean, I look, we're Chelsea fans, but we know better. You know, if if we couldn't get a result tonight at the Bridge, th- this is done and dusted. We're gonna need all the magic of the 2012 Champions League campaign for just one game if we're going to turn this around at the Allianz against a healthy Bayern with a pretty battered Chelsea side so I hate to say it I'm not confident for the next game uh but we'll get I want to touch back in that subject in a little bit some general talking points uh Jorginho picked up a yellow card Alonso obviously got the red so they're both out for the next leg anyway so even less of our starting quality quote-unquote players available for that game you mentioned Bayern's dominance if this doesn't show the Lampard's been asking for players if this kind of thing doesn't show the board the amount of what's the word I'm looking for here how much this club has gone backwards since we were the scary team in Champions League nights I don't know what else does because you mentioned it aside from Bayern uh, no matter what their season campaign in, in the Bundesliga is Bayern has been consistently, I think, in the semifinals for the past, like, four out of the five years or something along those lines. And they got knocked out in all of those by the eventual champions. So that's what we're supposed to be. And just you mentioned the lack of plan B. Bayern brought in Goretzka and Coutinho off the bench. And we brought in Pedro and William. Yeah. 
That's the difference. That right there is nuts. Again, two starting center backs are out. They still have World Cup winning Boateng and Alaba, who is probably one of the most flexible players in Europe in terms of where he can play. And then Alaba's backup, who I'm getting to right now, is Alfonso Davies, who has been a brilliant player who has changed his whole outlook on how he should play and, and taken the challenge of becoming the left back like nothing. So, All right, Andres, you're, you're starting to sound like a Bayern fan. Uh, it's not about it's not about <laughs> a Bayern fan. It's about understanding that if we want to be elite and be scary again, we have a blueprint. A, a blueprint was shown to us today. Yeah, and, 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 and that's and I hope that that's the big, the silver lining here is that we you know we learn from this not not as an individual loss, but as a the way that a team should be built, a way uh, a team should be structured. And again, we talked about the 4-2-3-1 being Bayern's DNA, even if they sometimes play a 4-3-3, making that part of what you do. You choose players that will play up to what you want to see on the pitch. And and I'll use this as a transition point. You mentioned Lampard only bringing up Kovacic because Kovacic to me was the only player that looked like he could be up against this Bayern side week in and week out. Uh, I know we went through stats last time. I'm going to do it again. For the last match, I'm going to do it again. 89% passing accuracy, 47 passes completed, 76 total touches, two key passes, three long balls completed, eight of nine dribbles completed, 14 of seven ground duels won, five tackles, two interceptions, one clearance. And to put that into perspective, I already mentioned Jorginho was non-existent. So Kovacic was doing this against Kimmich, Thiago, and Muller, who... We're dominating that midfield, and he still put up these numbers. Yeah, he just seemed like the only player that was willing to do whatever it takes to get some sort of result out of the match, even one, two, three nil down. You still saw that desire out of him, and I think that's something that Chelsea fans have really, uh, really fallen in love with Kovacic over. Is you know we could again we 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 talk about his stats and and what he could do on the ball but it's what it's also what he does off the ball as well like he shows that desire he shows that little bit of grit and determination and he even did the same thing for Croatia where he was just kind of like a he was he was sort of like their handyman he would come on and do whatever was needed to 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 get a result and you know as much as he was trying in this match he was just getting no support from anyone around him and a lot of times our midfield looked like a deer in the headlights, especially with Jorginho in there, who I thought had one of his worst games as a Chelsea player. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's – again, it's – I'm not disappointed that we're losing this match because, again, you expect us to lose this match. But it's just the manner that it happened, right? We – it could have been a lot worse, and I think that's yeah. a concerning thing. It's not often when you could say a 3-0 could have been worse. Yeah, huge, huge wake-up call. Um, so – yeah, that's that's kind of all there really is to say. I was going to talk a little bit now about how we approach the second leg. I know Lampard is talking about how we have to come out, and I think Giroud echoed the fact that we need to come out and and be strong and and play a a, a hard game at their home. But listen, at the point of the season we're in right now, I say let let a bunch of like kids and, and players yeah. who haven't played much Pull a out there. Let, yeah, what Klopp did in the in the Carabao Cup. We have much bigger fish to fry in getting the top four in the Premier League than pretend like we can beat Bayern by more than three goals in 
in but, the alliance. But but Frank Frank has a conundrum here because he's he already has a squad which does experience really intense highs but also intense lows and we saw it. We beat Tottenham, you know, our 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 bitter rival, um, but we would we lost three 0 in the Champions League a few days later to Bayern Munich. Is it the right idea mentally to just kind of chuck a bunch of kids out there and say, hey, have fun? Um, I mean, I, or, I think it's a little should different. He, should he send a message to his squad like that is unacceptable? You get your asses out there and and you get yourself a result. Oh, man, I I don't think we have the luxury to to do that. Uh, obviously, well I, well, well, I know we don't, and 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 that's why that's why it's an issue for Frank. But yeah, I I think I mean. If anything, you can do both by playing the kids because then you sit your starters and you're like, this is all your fault. You guys should be playing because we should never have lost 3-0 at home. And then they're like – so Mourinho, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, yeah, maybe it is. But the way I see it, man, the beating Tottenham and then beating and losing to Bayern, one's a league match where Mourinho was trying to do anything he could to get one point, to stay right there with Chelsea – while Lampard was trying to push getting three points. Here, it's a two-legged affair where you're just – you're both going for everything, right? Yeah. This is technically half of an elimination. So you're – the approach is totally different. So, yeah, it was the same 11 players, but we played a team that was just trying to be a wall versus Bayern, who is trying to be an unstoppable force. So that, that, that was the difference in approach there. I, I kind of hope that – Lampard doesn't put out a full strength 11 or, or our best available 11 against Bayern as awful as that sounds. But yes, we're four points clear of, of, of top four right now, I believe, or of the fifth place. But we, you mentioned it. We win one, we lose one. We win one, we lose yeah. one. So I rather, I rather focus on that in the FA cup. Maybe get, maybe that's the trophy we should be going all in for. And that's where you get your confidence again. But yeah, yeah. I, I think it's time to, to kind of call it done with the Champions League for this season. Yeah, and I, and I think maybe this Champions League like defeat isn't hitting me as hard because we beat Spurs, and I would still rather win that league match. Not it's not just beating Spurs; it's winning that league match. Like we need to pick up points in the yeah. league fast. While these other teams are still dropping points, you don't know what's going to happen. You see the form of Arsenal; they seem they seem to get their shit together. Everton up until last weekend was 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 on a roll. Um, you know, Sheffield finally started dropping points. Wolves are always going to be sniffing around us, no pun intended. But I, we need these points more than anything, and I think that's more important than the Champions League. We got to the round of 16. Yeah. That's as far as we're probably going to go. If we advance to the next round, you're going to start seeing even more. Like, it's it's the big boys from here on out. It's really mm-hmm. the round of 16 where you can maybe draw a bogey side like a, you know. A, it's a, not going to get easier past this round. Exactly. And, 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 and I think that's why, you know, I didn't feel so hard done by. So, yeah. and I think Lampard can also take more of a macro view of this. You know, yeah. we are statistically probably out of this, right? Like we have a very low chance of turning this around. Like it's a, uh, it's 50 to one, I think. <laughs> well, there you go. The other thing you have to take into, into account is Tottenham is still very much in their matchup against uh, Red Bull Leipzig, RB Leipzig. They're only down one goal in in the net. Uh, United and Arsenal should both win their Europa League matches and move on to the next round. You mentioned Sheffield starting to drop points and Wolves. They're also in the Europa League. 
Let those other guys kill themselves over those midweek matches. Yeah. Like at this point, let's tr- turn a negative into a positive and and really focus on finding the right tactics and approach to each game in the Premier League. Like put that effort you put into the Spurs match to figure out how to beat Mourinho. You have plenty of tape now on every team in the Premier League. You know how they approach big teams. You know how they approach teams at level of their quality. You know how to approach small teams. Like, find out what their weakness is week in and week out. And, I mean, it worked for Conte when he had no Europe. He made a, you know, one of the quote-unquote weaker Chelsea sides destroy the league by doing that. Just, we know Lampard can do that. We've seen it it against Spurs twice. We saw him do it against Arsenal. Let's, Let's put that sort of energy back into the league. So speaking of tactics, Bobby Totti had an interesting question. Um, so he asked, should Tamori start every match for the rest of the season? Our back line is terrible, and and we might as well get him the experience. So Andres, I'm going to weigh on this one first okay. um, because the center back issue has been a problem. Um, you know, it seems like Frank did see Rudiger and Christensen as a potential pairing that he could stick with for the season. And, and, and it's simply not working. I think Christensen's actually been putting on performances and Rudiger has been the one putting in the blemishes. Um, so why Tamori is not in the side, I'm not too sure. We know he has a mistake in him, but he's a young player and you're going to expect that kind of thing. But looking, looking ahead, and even looking back, we put together some of our best football when he was in our back four. Now, I'm not saying he's a savior, right? Because some of those matches, Kurt Zuma was the one saving his ass. But it, it's a legitimate question. Should there be more rotation at the center back position? Because we're still leaking goals. Yeah, I I guess we'll because you mentioned the winning thing, we might as well add the fact that Ron, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Cool, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Deluxe, said the same thing. Why aren't Tamori and Zuma out there together when they were our best combination? So it's a two-parter. For one, you're right. Rudiger has been awful with the turn of the year. Awful. And we were hoping that his health and, and him coming back was going to be the answer. But I've been, I was looking back at the goals we've given up recently and the ones that are coming in from crosses, he's not tracking his man. For one, he is ball watching as much as David Luiz ever did and just letting people run right past him. And the other thing is he seems to just, you know, when, whenever we started criticizing, criticizing Cahill for always running backwards, mm-hmm. uh, when he was approached one V one Rudiger is doing that when he's not even the defender on the ball and he's allowing players to stay on side today. It happened in the buildup for one of Nabry's goals where Rudiger was way further back when Christensen and the others had stepped up and he allowed Lewandowski to stay on side to then pass it back out to Nabry, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So these are, these are things that maybe Tomori will, will have issues with. But again, I, Tomori is a moldable young player. He's going to listen to his manager. He's going to take the criticism. He's not a guy who is at the prime of his career and all this. And, and at this point it just feels that Rudiger is getting the starts and, and it, to make it sound crude and, and mean is because he puts hashtag hustle and hashtag we'll get back on this on all his posts. Like he's that kind of outspoken guy. And that's literally the only thing that's putting him in the side right now. Frank, think- Frank has been, you know, uh, over selective at times. Like, like he tends to pick players over and over and over until they eventually get burned out. And when Rudy came into the side, to be fair to him, 
he looked pretty good. And we, and we were high up on him. We we're like, okay, this is an upgrade on our back four now. But it seems like yeah. he's kind of been overplayed. He looks like he's been run ragged. And why there hasn't been more, more rotations a little confusing. I think the more interesting question here, Andres, is why haven't we seen Tamori and Christensen paired up together? You know, they're not the most physically demanding center backs, and I think that's the obvious answer. But they're almost perfect foils for each other in the sense that Christensen has that sort of positional awareness and Tamori has that athleticism that could cover for it. So it seems like a good one-two punch when you, you know, when you compare their skill sets. And I think that's a confusing thing for me. Um, you know, when you look at Rudiger and, and, and Christensen, Christensen's a great positional defender and Rudiger just has no idea where he is half the time. And that leaves that leaves us exposed. And Rudiger is supposed to be our brute who's supposed to cover up for those mistakes. And he's the one causing them. So maybe shifting a guy like Tamori there where if those gaps are still there and if those mistakes are still going to happen, at least we have somebody there with one recovery pace. But yeah. um, but but two, we could we could see if that works because right now we're conceding a goal every match and, and, and that's unacceptable. Even I guarantee you this week, this weekend, we'll probably concede a goal to Bournemouth. Granted, right. we might score a few more than them, but there's gonna be a blemish in the match. And Frank Frank ex- expresses, you know, dissatisfaction with it after the Tottenham match too. And he said, you know, it would have been a lot better if we didn't concede at the end of the game. You know, I thought the scoreline was a bit unfair, and it, it it would do a lot for the psyche to keep a couple clean sheets. Those two two ones start turning into two nils, and those three twos start turning into three nils or three ones. Now all of a sudden the team starts thinking, hey, we're kicking ass. But right now we seem to be playing this frantic football because our, our our attacking players know that we're susceptible to the counter, and we feel that we have to overcompensate on the on, on in the attacking third to compensate for the de- for the defensive issues that we have, and it's just it, it's causing it's causing balance problems throughout the whole entire squad, and maybe yeah. it's a bigger underlying issue here, but and and Tomori's just scratching the surface, but that's kind of where I'm at. No, and, and on top of that, we've already tried the keeper swap, right? We thought, okay, yeah. maybe Kepa's the issue. I mean, Caballero just, I mean, he let in three today. He let one in against, I know it was, I think it was a Rudiger own goal, but still, four goals in two matches. I mean, it, we might as well keep Kepa in. Like, there's no difference there. Like, right now, the, the keeper, the keepers, based on what's happened recently, I think it's safe to say the keeper's not winning nor losing us the games. I whoever think, whoever you put out there at this yeah. point like you said the, the changes have to come in the field players mm-hmm. and bringing tomori back look yes you run the risk of of oh you know if you play him and he makes some mistakes he might get in his own head but what if this instead just makes him a stronger player that could be a very good positive a guy yeah, that bounces he, back he, and doesn't and has you know they they use that term a lot for quarterbacks that throw interceptions, they have short-term memory loss, and then they get out there yeah. and then they throw 300 yards or whatever. Maybe Tamori is that kind of player. I made a mistake. Fuck it. I'm out there. I'm going to block out this forward and not let him get past me one more time this game. But 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 did his form really dip that much? No. no That's the thing I, that I'm confused about is – it, it's not like he was putting up nightmare after nightmare. Yeah, he had a few off matches, but I think Rudiger has made more mistakes that led to goals this season than Tomori, and they're right about the same in terms of appearances, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe Rudiger has a few more, but it, it's just kind of confusing to me. All right, and we have another question from Ron, a.k.a. Bone Daddy, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Deluxe, the man. Uh, he says, <laughs> and, like, and like clockwork, the fan base wants to get rid of Jorginho. Nope. No, no way. Nah. 
Yep, I agree with you, Ron. Look, Jorginho just seems to be uh, an iron rod for criticism, and it's been that way since Sarri came, and that's just part of the deal that uh, <laughs> that he came to Chelsea with. I don't think he's uh, an ideal midfielder for what Frank's trying to do, but I don't think that there's many options out there um, in terms of midfield that could replace him and be as effective right away. What do you think, Andres? I mean, we've seen some of the names linked with Chelsea. It doesn't really look like we're looking for another holding midfield type player. So it would be a weird one if we got rid of him. Yeah, I agree. I, at this point, I don't think people just want to find the one guy that's at fault. And it's not Jorginho. Again, we talked about how Zuma and Tomori were the best combination on a winning streak. Kovacic and Jorginho at the bottom of, of the 4-2-3-1 were the, part of the reason we were ticking so well. So... Yeah, I, I think people are just looking to point it out. I think none of our midfielders really could have done any better than what he did against Bayern. So, yeah, I not an issue for me. Yeah, I agree. Um, next question, at Nacho Fuentes. Dude, shout out to Nacho Fuentes. He's been, like, hella consistent with his, with his questions. But he says, well, can't help but ask. Officially a hashtag rep ultra, dude. It, yeah, he, yeah, Nacho, yeah, so. you have a. I'm. I am pretending that I'm knighting you as we speak. Left shoulder, right shoulder. You are officially a rep ultra. Welcome to the family. I think that's Andres's first official knighting of a rep ultra on the <laughs> podcast. But usually, usually Ron beats us to it on Twitter. Yeah, and he's the first one to tell people welcome to rep ultras. <laughs> I, I'm. I'm gonna jump the gun before he does it. Well, 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 Rob is uh, Ron is the main ultra, so you know he's like the leader of that of of, of that uh, of the ultras there. But he says can't help but ask to Conte or not to Conte. Should we try and sell Conte, who's been injury prone and not up to his usual standards, and invest in a player such as Awar? I mean, I think we kind of addressed it in the last question, Andres. Right? We're not really looking at any other holding midfield type players now. Swapping him for Awar, as good of a player as he is. It's not a like-for-like, like, and it wouldn't fill the void in the squad that losing Conte would cause. So I'm kind of yeah. against that one. I, I was going to say something similar. I think that, especially since we already signed Ziyech and Ziyech is coming, that 10 creative rule has been filled for a starting spot. I don't think Awar is going to want to split time. I also don't think Awar, much like Jorginho, has the physicality to be in the double pivot long term in the Premier League. So... Based on how we're playing right now, and it looks like the 4-2-3-1 is going to be our go-to formation, I don't think that's the right player. If you're telling me we're going to get a box-to-box stalwart, someone like maybe, and again, this is just pipe dreams, just talking out loud, someone like Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, that that makes a lot more sense. Awar is a fantastic Ooh, player, but like Zach said, it's if you're dropping, if you're taking out a guy who has such high defensive output, you don't bring in a guy that has limited defensive output and physicality to bring you more goals. It's we don't need a, a strict DM, but we also don't need a strict a like attacking mid to to replace him. Next question from Nick Lenartson: Who would you like to see packing and leaving the club? This is an interesting one, Andres, because uh, you actually found a rumored Lampard Axelis, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So I, you can just tell me if you agree or disagree with these. We'll just play it that way. So um, 
Yeah, there was a report that came out today of a quote-unquote Lampard axe list. And so, yeah, we'll get to it. There's eight players on the list. So first off is Keppa. So, Zach, keep, sell, loan, Keppa. Ooh. If we could get the money for him, I'd get rid of him. Realistically, I don't see that happening, though. Yeah, I say that if, if he's leaving, it's on a loan just to try to bring back value. I don't see yeah. him we're getting anywhere close to the fee we got him for. So, yeah, I say he leaves on a loan or as part of a deal. Uh, next, Zuma. Keep sell loan. This pains me to say it because I loved Zuma. I still do, but so. Um, we could get around a 40 million mark for him. I think that's good money. I think we should take it and run. Um, we need to fill a void at the center back position. And unfortunately we have four center backs of similar quality. I think Christensen and Tamori have too high potential to get rid of. I think Rudiger's at the age where we're not going to get as much money for Zuma. Um, and he'll make a pretty decent squad player. So, uh, so. I'm kind of back and forth on this. If Zuma is technically homegrown, I say sell. If not, it's almost like a coin flip between keeping him or Rudiger at this point. I think I just need to see a little bit of more of Zuma to make that decision. Uh, next on the list is Emerson. Sell. Yeah, I'm with you. So uh, <laughs> I know Juventus want him. Apparently his agent's been talking up the fact that Juventus want him. I'm cool with selling Emerson. All right. Next is Alonzo, and this – also comes at the fact that his dad this week was hinting at an Italy return for him. So keep sell loan Alonzo. Um, I would sell him, but then I would bring him back in on loan for London derbies only. Spurs, Spurs matches, <laughs> Spurs matches only. Yeah, no, I'm with but, you at the yeah. sell, 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 sell Alonzo. Yeah. He, he is strictly a wing back. We only play 3-4-3 right now because we are so riddled with injuries that we have to change our style to to get results. So, yeah, sell him. Uh, Jorginho. Keep. Yeah, keep. I, I think he's he's not done here yet. Barkley, Ross the boss, Ross the dross, whatever you want to call him. What do you want to do with him? I want to sell his ass. <laughs> I, will, <laughs> I will donate him. <laughs> do i have that option i won't charge anyone to take him off our wage bill take a page out of the nba's book let's do a buyout yeah can we get this in court just buy out the contract um next pedro so i mean i think he walks out already right yeah, like i don't think yeah, he doesn't I have a contract he does. he leaves. so it's not even so it's just yeah just let him walk yeah just wave by Tell and then the last you. name on the list, William, uh, he came out after this matchup, of course. Typical Brazilian style of handling the media. Chelsea loses, and to add fuel to the fire, he goes and says, Chelsea offered me a two-year contract. We all know I want more than that. So it's a tough situation. I really don't know what the outcome is going to be, but I'm just going to focus on the rest of my contract, which is the next six months. So, William, let him walk or extend him. Tough call for Frank. Um, I would let him walk personally because I do think that we can upgrade on that position. But I will caveat it with this, Andres. If William leaves, keep your eyes open. That means someone else is coming on the wings. And we talked about some certain players that we've been linked with. So let him walk. Say I, I bet you William is going to go join David Luiz at Arsenal. That would be 
That's oh, such an Arsenal man. move. I totally see it. I don't see him going to Spurs. I, although no, if no, Mourinho's he, the manager, but if Mourinho's the manager, we know that there is a little bit of a love connection there between the two. You never know. But yeah, yeah Will, William can walk. I mean, he's been fantastic this season, but we know that usually offensive players are the ones that deteriorate the quickest and he's already approaching, you know, the, the end of his high level career. So I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Anyways, Andres, um, some transfer rumors. Um, I don't want to get too into this because again, like we get so excited and when nothing happens, we get disappointed, (laughs) but I just want to highlight some of these. Yeah. Yeah. Quickly this week, uh, of course, because, Another rumor came out that Chelsea's trying to get all their business done before the season ends so that Lampard knows who's coming in to start the season. So with all the keeper conundrum, the most outrageous rumor coming out this week is that Chelsea's trying to get a deal where it's Kepa plus cash for the one and only Jan Oblak. So, Ooh, yeah, that's as, that's as FIFA as it gets, dude. I'm not yeah. buying that one at all. Yeah. Um, with that said, though, Onana is still on the radar. So oh, He already has a song ready-made for him. <laughs> Rihanna, we're going to be plagiarizing your song quickly, so be ready for that <laughs> chant. Um, we talked about center backs. Apparently, Lampard's number one option for a center back partner to us, one of our current ones is Upa Meccano out of Leipzig. Mm-hmm. Again, no, no real... Uh, uh, anything else to report there but yeah those are the kind of the ones that came out that we haven't discussed already so far hopefully the rumors of Chelsea wanting to sign players pre Euro Cup are true if I'm the selling club I'm not that stupid and I wait till after the Euro Cup but I mean Onana and Upamecano neither of them will be featured in the Euros so mm-hmm. actually I don't, even know, quick. I, I don't even know if Oblak is either but yeah, yeah those are guys that could potentially make moves prior so at least we're targeting the right uh, profile player. So, Bournemouth versus Chelsea this Saturday, Andres. Bournemouth, 16th in the league, only won two of the previous six, dropped two in a row. <sighs> a bogey side for us. <laughs> a total we, bogey side for us. We lost to them in December, so... Yep, and it could very well happen again. So, before we get to our predictions... A uh, good question from Ron. Does RLC play this weekend? A thousand percent, yes. I don't think he starts because I, Frank has been very careful with bringing players back from injury. Um, but I, I, if, if we can – I want to see him play. Could we just smash three goals in in the first maybe 65, 70 minutes? I, I was going to say that this game has the – Typical Chelsea bounce back feeling to it. I I I I'm hopeful, and I know we haven't done predictions, but I'm hopeful that what you're saying will come true. I also know that RLC was technically cleared to play against Spurs. He was on the bench. Mm-hmm. He didn't play. I think it was smart not to play him against Bayern because that is a very demanding game and very high stakes. But I mean, Bournemouth in the league. We we talked about them potentially getting relegated. I know they're a bogey side, but. Why not bring one of your most creative and uh, offensive, yeah, dynamic offensive players to help beat that low block in mm-hmm. RLC and let him have a fantastic debut? I think he should play. I think he should start. Ooh, I don't know if he should start. I I think so, man. I think we we let him come in. 
Mount needs a break. I, I he know he's been dropping great performances recently, but the guy out, needs though. to just yeah. let him let him sit out. Let RLC come in, play in a midfield three with Jorginho and, and Kovacic. Uh, yeah, because Conte's hurt, obviously. And and even with Pedro and William playing off there, he has a great understanding with both those players and Giroud. This just like for once in a while, bringing RLC in makes other players around him way better too because that understanding is already there. Well, he it's creates not, spaces all over the pitch. Defenses right, collapse, the guy, but they collapse on him. And he the opens guy, up spaces. The guy's comfortable dribbling out wide, letting those guys like Pedro and William cut inside because maybe RLC overlaps or one two whatever he wants to do. But yeah, let him play, man. Let him start. I think that the fans would love to see him come in. I think that it would be kind of one of those uplifting guys seeing him come in. Everyone's gonna be like, hell yeah, let's do this. Let's it's give, so, it's just let's so, give him a Loftus cheek a a performance to to be excited for his return. I don't know. It, it feels very storybook to have RLC be the center of why Chelsea beats Bournemouth five nil. It also seems very harsh to throw a guy in that's coming off an Achilles injury like that um, right into the firing line. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think he'll start, but I think definitely if we can get at least a two-goal lead with about 20, 25 minutes left in a match, he'll get a run out for sure. Um, I I think Frank has enough faith in his players to – or at least will have faith in RLC um, considering that he's one of the more experienced young players that we have um, to go out there and sort of put a performance in, a 20, 25-minute performance. Um, so predictions, yeah. Andres, what are you thinking? 5-0 if RLC starts. I would love to go 5-0, but I'm going to go 3-1. I think it's going to be comfortable for most of the match, and we're going to concede late. Typical if, Chelsea. If you give me Loftus-Cheek, Tamori, Reese james and e- e- heck, even Giroud, if you give me those four players as starters, I think we can get the, that, the result I'm predicting. Yeah, just pin Giroud on Nathan Ake and just kind of expose that lack of size that they have in the center of defense. Um, but anyways, I mean, that brings us to the end of this podcast, guys. So, um, again, we are on Anchor now. So for those of you that are uh, that are people of Spotify or other uh, uh, mainstream streaming apps, um, make sure you guys check us out. I'll go ahead. I'll post a link to our uh, Anchor profile on our uh, on our Twitter feed there so you guys can click on it. See what uh, platforms are available on and whichever one's more, most convenient for you. You can go ahead and listen to us there. But until next week, keep the blue flag flying high.